Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this week on the show, I'm joined by Michael Mansell and Brennan Nading of the Breaking Point TV to discuss real-world tactics for killing deer during the late season. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. And we are officially, unfortunately, out of the month of November. Cue the uh, sad boo-hoo sounds or some kind of appropriate sound effect. Uh, Podcast editor Hayden. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Sweet November is behind us. I hope uh, I hope it was sweet for you. I had one of those hit or miss kind of Novembers. It started out amazing with a kill on November first, and then I had a big lull. Unfortunately, for the rest of that you know, next seven to ten days, saw some kind of younger age class bucks there in mid November. And then late November, I've actually gotten back into some action, Um, have been having some very close calls uh, with a buck I'm after now that's uh, a pretty cool story. I'm actually trying to get this buck killed with my son, which is wild. It's kind of a unique situation where I thought I could get the job done from a blind. So I brought my four-year-old son out with me, and uh, we've been trying to kill a, a mature buck, and we actually have come very close. Um, I'll share that full story another time. Hopefully we'll get him killed here soon and we'll have a happy ending. But, uh, if not, it's, it kind of has gone back to what I talked about all year, which is that I just want to have fun this year. 
And uh, I realized that I already killed a nice buck in Michigan. I don't need to kill another one. Um, and this deer is one that he's super nice. Could he use another year? It'd be cool to see him another year, but at the same time, he's mature and he's a great buck to kill here. And if I could kill him with my son with me, it'd be amazing. And so, uh, and so I've leaned into that because that would be fun. And it's been fun doing it. I mean, it's been trying taking a four year old out trying to kill a big deer. Um, I each time we've gone out, I thought there's no way this is going to work. There's no way I'm going to do this again ever. And then I go out and try it again. Um, so we'll see. That's that's kind of been my late November story. But uh, I bring all that up to say that the season is still going, and I hope that you're feeling the way I'm feeling right now, which is as energized and excited as I've been heading into a December as, as I have been in a number of years. Um, I'm not exactly sure what to attribute that to. It has been a little bit less travel than past years, but I... I I think it maybe is going back to that mindset shift that I've talked about in some of my previous episodes about goals. We talked about it, you know, when I killed my buck in Michigan, we talked about it, you know, when I killed my buck in Nebraska. Um, I'm trying to relieve some of the pressure of what I'm supposed to be doing and what other folks say we should be doing or killing or whatever. And just going back to hunting our own hunt, hunt my own hunt, do the things that make hunting fun again. And if you do that, it actually, believe it or not, keeps it fun and you want to keep doing more of it and and that's been my takeaway this year so far and i'm just wanting to push that you know right on through the rest of the season so i've got some ohio hunting i'm going to take off and do and i've got some more stuff in michigan going to be going to texas here later in the month and uh i'm pumped for it so all that's to say um we've got some tips here today to help you make that kind of thing work out for yourself we're talking to michael mansell and Brennan Nading. These guys are co-hosts. They're part of the team over on the Breaking Point TV. Um, This is a a great series. I follow it over on YouTube. You can watch it a variety of different places, but their YouTube channel is where I would be going to interact with their stuff. They've, I think, been doing this for 10 seasons now, and they put out some of the best videos out there, and they're doing a very, very good job of getting deer on the ground. I mean, this year... I can't even tell you how many bucks their group has killed. Uh, Brennan and Mike have been doing this consistently, uh, successfully, uh, at a clip that you don't see from many people that aren't the big name, own big land kind of guys. I think that's an important point with this conversation we have here today that separates, I think, what they're doing from, from a lot of folks, you know. Um, nothing against the TV guys who have the 2,000-acre farms and 50-acre standing bean fields. Like when they talk about how to kill deer during the late season, it's it works. It's fun. I like watching it. And if I had that, I would be doing it. But then what about the rest of us who don't have that farm, who are hunting a 40-acre piece or a 70-acre piece, who don't have hundreds of acres of sanctuary and standing corn or whatever it is? Um, how are you supposed to have late season success in that situation? Um, that's what we talk about today with Mike and Brennan because they're young guys. You know, I think they're younger than me. Um, they don't own a whole bunch of land. I think they've had some little leases. I think they've had some permission. I think they've done public land. They've kind of done all that kind of piece it together, normal, real-world stuff that most of us are doing. And they're still killing a lot of great deer. And they're still doing it during the late season, which is notoriously a tough time to get it done in those types of situations. 
So that's our episode today, talking to Mike, talking to Brennan about real-world tactics for hunting late-season deer. We cover you know everything from how to relocate deer during the late season after they've been pushed all over the place. We talk about you know, different exit and access strategies. We talk about perfect setups of the late season. We talk about why they prefer ground blinds during the late season. Talk about, uh, you talk about baiting and feed. If that's legal in your area, that might be something that could help you. Um, and I'm, I'm personally, you know, looking at that kind of thing now in certain situations to try to figure out if that's something that might be able to help me in some weird situations in the late season. So we kind of cover it all. It's an interesting one. And uh, these guys really do back up what they're saying with the results. If you head on over to the YouTube, to their Instagram, to their Facebook, you're going to see that these guys know how to get it done. And uh, they are worth listening to. So tune in. Michael and Brennan have a lot to share today. I hope you learn some stuff from them. hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your hunting season because we've got a lot more of it. Let's go have some fun. And here we go with my chat with Michael and Brennan from the Breaking Point TV. All right, here we are. We've got Brennan Nading and Michael Mansell on the line. Gentlemen, thank you for making time to do this here uh, during what's still a busy, busy season for you guys. Thank you. No problem. You bet. Glad to be on. I'm uh, I'm glad we're doing this. I've I've you know been watching you guys build this thing for years and years and we've had you you know hopping on to rut fresh radio and different things over the years but i've been wanting a big deep dive like this with the two of you so i'm glad that we can do it and uh i want to do it now because the late season and you guys you, you you're filling tags all year round but it seems like every year you've got good stuff happening in the late season and not everybody does that there's a lot of folks who have like big fancy farms and they own thousands of acres with thousands of acres of food plots or whatever, and they kill lots of late season bucks. But you don't see like the the usual young guy DIY kind of doing it the hard way. Those folks seem to have a harder time pulling off in the late season. But you guys, um, you guys are the exception to the rule. So uh, first off, kudos to uh, to you guys for doing that. And secondly. Congratulations also need to go to you, Brennan, because you just killed a buck last night, right? Kansas, is that right? Yeah, correct. Uh, I was fortunate enough to wrap my tag on a good Kansas buck last night on some public land. So as we speak, it's the very end of November. So would you say that you killed that buck on a like a late rut kind of pattern, or was this like a late season movement thing already? What What would you categorize that as? Uh, definitely late rut. We were down there hunting for the past seven days and we were, we were hunting down there pretty much like we would hunt the rut. Um, you know, first, second week in November in, uh, Iowa or Illinois or Wisconsin. Um, I've always had my best luck down there. I see the most, uh, rutting action actually like between the 15th and the 30th of November in Kansas. So we went down there like full-blown rut mentality, uh, took the decoy into every spot, banging on the antlers, and uh, and that's how we ended up killing that buck last night. Really? He came into the rattling? Yep, yep. He come out on a food source, and uh, he was scent-checking does, and we had several deer come out on the food source, and there was a handful of bucks, um, actually three pretty nice ones, and they were, they were more or less checking does, and running around, checking each other, walking each other off, and 
Um, I ended up rattling actually a few different times. There was so much going on on the field. It was actually the third time I rattled at him, and he finally, curiosity, got the best of him, and he came a couple hundred yards across the field and walked past at 15. Wow, that's awesome. So when when do you feel, Brennan, that it switches typically for you, at least in your mind, from that late rut kind of hunt to a late season hunt? Like, Is there like a calendar date? Or are you kind of doing it based on which kind of state you're in? Or when does that flip switch from, you know, late rut to, all right, this is late season officially? When's it happen for you? I would say probably around December 5th to the 10th is when I kind of shift focus. Like uh, in Iowa here next week, I, I really see a lot of activity on my cameras. And from hunting in the past, um, usually – Somewhere around December 1st to the 10th, there's a, there's a second wave of that rut, it seems like. And my cameras just, they blow up for a few days. And then once that's done, that's when I would say I kind of shift gears to late season. Yeah. What about you, Mike? I would agree with that. I would say, um, you know, definitely in states like Iowa and Kansas, uh, states that I would say you don't necessarily see as much hunting pressure um that rut kind of lasts through the majority of november and into the early part of december um you know back in the home state of wisconsin uh where where hunting pressure is quite a bit higher i'm sure you notice that even in michigan too mark um it seems like the second gun season hits uh your rut your rutting activity significantly decreases um, and it just seems to kind of fizzle out as the, as the gun season progresses, you do get a little bit of a second rut action coming into early December, but it seems to peter out a lot more as to where like, you know, some of the other States, like, like I said, Iowa and Kansas, you don't, where you don't see as much, you know, hunting pressure. It, it seems like, uh, just, you know, from previous sits and, and, and on the cameras, those bigger bucks are moving throughout the entire month into early December. Yeah. Now, I heard you say somewhere, Mike, I can't remember where it was, but I remember you saying that, and maybe you were just saying this because it was in an episode, but I think it was one of your video episodes about late season. You said that it's late season is your favorite time of year. I think you were talking specifically about going up to your camp up in North Dakota. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm curious, is that is that true? Is the late season your favorite or is it just like you like going up to the North Dakota camp or what's your take on that? I would say, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, there's still nothing that beats the rut, but it, it late season is one of my favorite times of the year, just because it's kind of that time of the year where a lot of people pack it in. Uh, they, they think, you know, once November's over, the season's over and they, a lot of guys just don't want to stick it out through the cold, cold weather. And, uh, and to be honest, I mean, if you have, you know, the right spot with, with food and, and cover, it can be the best time of the year to, to be hunting. Um, and, and I would just say another reason too, just like with our cabin being in North Dakota and the the success we've had in late season. And, and we, we have a pretty good sized group that goes out there that time of year. Um, it's a pretty good camp camaraderie. So that's, that's one of the reasons too, I look forward to it. Um, a lot of times, uh, every year, you know, is, is not, not just from the hunting aspect of it, but, um, it's, a lot, a lot of that deer camp feel that you don't really see as much nowadays. I would say. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that. Brennan, what's your take on the late season? Do you love it, hate it, somewhere in between? I absolutely love the late season. I I consider most, like Mike said, a lot of people, you know, if they don't get their deer fill their tag in November, they kind of like, oh, shit, better luck next year. And, and I, I look at it, I've, over the years, I've definitely killed the majority of the deer I've shot have been in the late season. And then like, I feel like if you kind of put yourself in the position early on in the year, whether it's food plots or just planning and, and all that, that can go into it. Like, I feel like late season is by far, you know, the best opportunity to kill a good buck just because, yeah, you can kill one in, during the rut, but I feel like there's a lot of luck involved. Um, you still have to put yourself in the right position, but you're at the mercy of the rut. I mean, deer can, they can, you know, travel so far and, and cover so much ground. Like, it's just, I feel like there's a lot more strategy that goes into late season, much like early season hunting. Yeah. Just to add on to that, too, I would say just in the last 10 years of doing the show, I, I, w- I would bet, I would venture to say 40 to 50% of the deer that we kill on video are from not, like now until middle of January. Wow. Uh, well, so, so uh, you, you kind of, you both gave me a little bit of like why, like you told me why you like it, but if we had to say like, what are the top two reasons that the late season is so good? I mean, is it, is it just because of the predictability? Do you guys think, or is it the food thing? I mean, Mike, why would you, why would you say you guys have so much success at this time of year? I think I, I would say it's a combination of the predictability and the food. I mean, if you have if you have the food source in the cold weather, like this time of the year, the deer are just slaves to their stomach. I mean, they're trying to replenish a lot of that uh, the reserves that they lost, you know, during during the rut, um, and they're just more susceptible to slip up, especially your mature deer. Um, I would say even more now than, than in the November months, uh, if you, if you can have the right setups. Yeah. Um, would you add anything to that, Bryn? No, I, I, he literally stole the words out of my mouth. Deer are <laughs> slave to their stomach. You hear Mark Jury talk about it all the time. And it's just, there's, you know, after they come out of the rut, I feel like you get cold weather and you have a food source. There's no better time for a, a mature deer to slip up and make a mistake. Yeah. Now, okay. So they're predictable. They're slaves to their stomachs. Uh, they gotta, you know, they they can be concentrated in certain places, right? Because where you find that security yep. cover and that food, like they're all gonna get there. You know, early season there might be deer everywhere. Late season they're more concentrated in certain places. So all those things are good. On the flip side, yep. you know, I guess I'll I'll throw a couple possible downsides and you guys could either agree with me or disagree with me on this but i would say you know the late season these deer have been pressured a ton so they might be super spooky uh we've got fewer deer because a bunch of deer have been killed in the early season and during the rut um and then if you don't have that unpressured pocket or that amazing food you might be completely out of the game am, am i right on those things or am i overblowing those I think possible you're, downsides no, i think you're I think you're spot on on all of that. I mean, it's when we do our late season hunting, we're, we're pretty much targeting states that don't see that pressure that makes it difficult. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not hunting in Wisconsin late season 
for example. Um, I'm going to a, a state that's you know doesn't see near the deer hunting pressure. Um, I'm going to areas where I know that deer aren't you know still scared from the gun season. So I think that's got a big part in it. Not to say that you can't successfully go to Wisconsin or Michigan and have a late season, a good late season hunt. But we kind of try to stack our odds and go to states where we know the hunting pressure hasn't had that kind of toll on the deer. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? One, yeah. One thing I would say too, Mark, though, is you you mentioned that um, you know a lot of your a lot of your deer you know may have already been harvested. Um, you know, prior to, prior to that time, the late season months, um, you know, it's one thing that we've noticed though, with late season, given the right, you know, location, food source cover is you can draw deer from that. You've never even seen on cameras before. Um, we see it all the time in North Dakota. I've seen it last year on my lease in Iowa where I would go all year with, without, certain bucks on camera and then all of a sudden end of december uh, a random buck shows up out of nowhere that i've never even seen on on camera or had encounters with before and it's just that drawing power of you know the limited pressure and the food on top of it that can get really those deer moving from miles away onto the properties you hunt if you have it set up right yeah so i feel like there's like two two general camps that folks might fall into when it comes to this time of year there's there's folks that have some control over the habitat maybe who can like set up a place or prepare a place to be great for the late season and then there's folks who don't have that ability and they're just hunting whatever permission ground they have or whatever public land they have access to or something like that so they have to like try to find that or just hope they already have that um i'm kind of curious about your take on both of those but let's start first with like the prep because it sounds like Maybe you guys have been able to do some of that kind of stuff, whether it be on a lease um, or otherwise. So what have you found in a place that you do have some kind of preseason influence on the property? What have you found has been the most important to set you up for late season success? Um, and maybe we can even talk about what you've done in North Dakota with with you know putting food out and stuff like that. I mean, across the board, in a place where you have influence, where you can control stuff, let's start there. What kind of things can you do to, to set yourself up for late season when it arrives? Brendan? Well, I mean, if you've got control over the property, um, which I personally do not on a lot of the stuff I hunt, um, in Iowa I hunt permission pieces, and uh, I don't have the ability to plant food. If I could, I would. And I would plan a lot of it, but uh, like Iowa this year, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually hunt the first shotgun season, just because I'm hoping to get lucky during that second wave of the rut. But if I had access to plant food, I would definitely be planting corn, soybeans, any kind of cereal grain, um, to to pretty much just for the late season. I wouldn't even I won't even necessarily care about it during october and november or even think about hunting it i would just stay out of those areas and let the deer get comfortable because i know when the weather hits you know in late december early january all it takes is one cold front and a snowstorm and you're probably going to get the biggest deer on the farm and step out in the daylight yeah. um you go to other states like uh you know we hunt uh in north dakota and uh 
I'll actually be going down with Aaron to Oklahoma. He's got a buddy down in Oklahoma that he hunts with. And uh, in states where it's legal to feed, by all means, we're feeding. And uh, I feel like the most important part of that is getting feed on the ground before the bad weather moves in because in those areas, deer do yard up into large groups. And it's important that you get food on the ground so they can locate it before the snow gets deep and the weather gets nasty because otherwise you might not have any chance of drawing them. Hmm. Interesting. I've got a lot more questions about that. But first, uh, Mike, anything you would add on non kind of baiting prep that you might do or, you know, plantings that you've ever tried in the past? Um, well, I mean, really it's a lot of what Brennan said, um, with last year I had a lease in Iowa, so I was able to actually uh, pay a local farmer, um, to leave some of the corn, uh, which allowed me to, once they harvested the corn to put in a tower stand, kind of overlooking that, and and one of the things I did then is actually run down a lot of it, so I was able to shoot with the muzzleloader, things like that. Um, I would say just non-food related. Brennan kind of hit on it a little bit in that conversation there, but um, really following the weather, um, late season I think it's more crucial to be honest than any other time of the year. You got to really the deer don't tolerate much late season, so you got to be selective on when you make your move. Um, you can kill the biggest buck on the farm first, second sit if if you make the move when you need to. I think a lot of people, the, the great reason they don't have success in the late season months is they get impatient and they want to go all in the first sit. Um, but if you can if you can see a cold front 10 to 14 days out where there's even greater temperature drop, um, it can greatly stack the odds in your favor. So I, th- I think one, one tip, you know, to not related to the the food side, but it's just, just to, uh, just really be patient for when the weather is when you need it. Yeah. For sure. Don't burn the spot out before, before the late season ends. And I think that kind of brings to mind another thing you can do if you, and this is something I kind of do in some of my spots where I know that, um, there's tons of hunting pressure during gun season. And I know that that pressure does subside though, usually in the late season. So I kind of, try to leave some of these spots alone during that mid season, you know, mm-hmm. mid to late November. And I let that be sort of a sanctuary because I know that I'll come back in the late season. And even though I can't, you know, control when the corn gets cut, when the beans get cut, I can't control the food in that kind of way. I can control when it's a safe sanctuary. And if you can provide that safe yep. sanctuary for a while leading into the late season and then keep it a sanctuary in the late season and then just make those couple well-timed hunts, you might not be able to have 20 acres of food out there, uh, but you can be that one place that hasn't been you know, hunted to death, and that can push in yep. deer. Um, so that is one thing you can do when you don't have tons of control is just your, like you said, your pressure. Be careful and sometimes stack, let a property stack up and then hunt it after you stacked it full of deer. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I would just, just to add on, just to add on that, I would say, you know, if, if you have limited control, um, is, is limiting, um, that pressure on your exit entrance and exit route as well. Um, cause one, one of the biggest problems when you get a lot of deer in the mix is being able to get out at night without blowing the whole field up. Uh, on a food source, um, you can really ruin a spot very fast. So if you can set up your blind in a, in a situation where 
you have some sort of rise or some sort of food source blocking like like uh on my on my lease last year i i kind of set it up where the corn i used a little bit of the corn as a screening um so i could get in and out of the spot without blowing the whole field up um you, you can make your late season spot uh the hunt quality lasts a lot longer also yeah yeah for sure um i want to go back to something brennan brought up you mentioned uh the corn thing and you said that one thing that's important is to is to start putting out feed you know before the late season really gets late um when they really need it because you got to find it um i have never used feed corn really much at all um except way way back when i was like a kid my family put it out um but i found myself recently in a situation in ohio where like there's just no deer around and it seems like everybody else is putting out bait and I can't get anything on cameras in my places and nothing seems to be hitting the, the uh, harvested crop fields on these properties I have access to. It's just a ghost town. And I'm wondering, like, man, there's two months of the season left. And I've got no food that these deer are interested in. Um, maybe I could change my fate if I did start putting something out and try that for once and see if maybe that could give me a chance at something here in the late season. Um, but I don't know what I'm doing. Um what would you say, Brennan, for like a strategic use of corn or feed or whatever it is, if it's legal in your state, like what's the smart way to do something like that to kill a deer in the late season? Because the temptation, like what we did when I was a little kid is I'd take a five gallon bucket with apples and corn and we walk it out, we dump it in a pile and I'd sit 30 yards away from it. I'm assuming that's not what yep. you'd recommend I do. Um, yeah. If I'm trying to, <laughs> yeah. if I'm trying to like get bucks to be in my area to get inventory of them again, maybe in the late season, and to actually have a chance at killing something this time of year, when I don't have a great food source naturally, walk me through like a strategic way to do something like that. I mean, the best advice I could give is uh, you want to get the food close enough to their bedroom that they are comfortable getting out of bed and coming to hit it before dark. But you also want to put it in a place, you know, where you can you want to essentially put the deer where you want the deer so you want to make sure you can hunt it on a couple different wind options and, and mike like mike mentioned entrance and exit is everything because if you if you're hunting over a corn pile or a standing bean field or any kind of food source i mean you're at the liberty of potentially having 20 plus deer in front of you at dark and if your target buck don't happen to be one of those 20 deer he's not too far away more than likely when you blow that field up at dark or blow that, you know, that bait up at dark. So I guess the, the thing I would recommend is putting it close enough to the food source that he's comfortable coming out and hitting it before dark, but also putting it in an area where you can still get it in and out of there clean. And, uh, I would, I would rely heavily on trail camera, uh, as far as telling you when to go, you know, if that buck's coming in, hour two hours after dark i wouldn't necessarily say well i'm just going to go in there and hope he comes in there i'm going to wait for that deer to daylight and i'm going to be there the next night mm. now are you typically hunting like within shooting range of that bait or do you try to set up in a spot where oh, they're yeah. going to transit oh, you are okay yep no if we're if we're bow hunting um near bait we're we're within 20 to 30 yards of it for sure okay um is there any I mean, anything as far as like how they usually approach 
feed like that? Do they ever circle downwind to come into it like they might with a scrape or something? Or are they just heading straight to it, easiest path, just like they're coming to a, fee- a field or something? Am I overcomplicating it? Kinda it kind of depends. It kind of depends. Like North Dakota, if the snow gets deep, they're going to stick to their main travel, like their trails. They're going to have set trails if the snow's real deep. But a lot of times those mature bucks are still going to circle downwind of it. So we try to set them up in a way where they can still circle downwind of it, and we're cheating the wind just enough that we can get away with it. Okay. Yeah, just so they almost think they parallel, have it in their favor. Almost, uh, we've almost got the blind set up parallel to if they do circle. They think they still have the wind in their favor, but we're just outside of that cone. Hmm. Okay. One thing we will do, too, uh, like, well, for North Dakota, for example, I'm sure you've noticed, Mark, we're just watching some of our stuff is we only hunt on the ground late season. Yeah. Um, and that, that primarily is just because of the conditions out there are just too miserable to be in a, in a tree stand that time of year. Um, you know, when you're in a blind, you can be 10 to 15 degrees warmer. It makes it a little bit more enjoyable of a sit. You could have a heater if it gets really cold. Um, but a lot of times, you know, cause you could, when it's, when it's cold out, it seems like your, your sound is always amplified. Um, we'll place those baits out, you know, even a touch further than we normally would like to 20 to 25 yards, um, in that range. Um, just cause when you get like that many deer in a, in a nearby area and they're circling and there's just a lot of stuff going on. I mean, it only takes one to, to ruin the party. So sometimes bumping it out a little bit. Um, I mean, it, it can help you play your wind a little bit better too. Um, but, but also, um, just so you don't alert as many deer. Yeah. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. 
You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. Now, what about actually putting the feed out? Um, are you, how frequently do you do that? Are you worried about spooking deer when you do that? Do you have a certain time that you're, you know, a certain amount of time between refills? Um, is it better to just dump stuff on the ground versus use like a feeder that will kind of slow deploy stuff? What about that? Mike? It kind of depends on where you're at. Like North Dakota, we feed all on the ground. Um, where Aaron hunts in Oklahoma, but we're, that guy's running timed feeders. So it's, it's a little bit different depending on where you're at. Um, we try not to go into spots outside of midday. Um, cause we don't want to bump deer, you know, going in there in the morning to feed them. And we don't want to bump them in the afternoon. We kind of want them to know that, you know, we come in there during the middle of the day, we're putting new feed on the ground for them and, kind of let them feel safe during those morning hours and evening hours where we're potentially going to be hunting them. Okay. And what, uh, what kind of, uh, you know, frequency do you feel like you typically need to reapply to, to keep that pattern going? Is it like a once a week thing or what? Um, I would well, say it kind of depends on the state. Sorry, go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, I yeah. mean when the baits are when the baits are running dry is when we we feed them. So I mean it used to be before cell cameras we just go you know every week or every two weeks, but now we just keep an eye on the cell cameras and if if the food's gone we go in there and feed them. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I would agree hundred percent with that. Um, but also you know it depends on the state you're hunting to uh, and the regulations they have for you know, the quantity you can have out. Um, uh, I would say a lot of the states we hunt right now, there's really not any, you know, set regulation on, on how much food you can put out. But um, some states there is, you know, certain limits as far as how much you can put on the ground at one time. Yep, yep. Definitely got to be checking those before uh, doing anything there. Um, okay, that's helpful. Uh, what about... Um, you know, kind of along these lines, when I'm thinking about putting out bait or something like that, and you mentioned it, Brandon, with cell cameras and stuff, I'm, I'm thinking for a lot of folks, the late season is kind of like a reset period. And for some people, you kind of need to relocate deer because uh, a lot of deer go and do funky things in November. I certainly have had a lot of years where my target bucks disappear for large parts of November. And then like December 3rd, December 9th, somewhere in that ballpark, bam, here, here they are, they're back. Or I found myself mm-hmm. in other years where I don't have a good one and I'm like, okay, I got to figure something out here for the late season. And I'm like searching on other properties again and hoping to find something, shifting things around, moving cameras around, different stuff like that. Um, Mike, what do you do or what are the, the ideas you've used in the past when you're just trying to find late season deer and, and trying to figure out like, where are they? Where's my opportunity? 
Um, what's that like locating and scouting look like once you get into December or January for you? Um, I would say, I mean, we kind of already hit home on it a little bit, but you know, trying to find the, the thickest cover possible and anything that has a, you know, nearby food source. Um, you know, the one reason I think late season, you know, is the time of year that we get excited about, you know, so much, like you said, it's kind of a reset. Um, we'll, we'll get deer, you know, that will show up that we had pictures of early season in velvet and they might have disappeared for four months and shifted off somewhere. And then all of a sudden they just show right back up. So that, that's one, another reason too, why I think we, we enjoy hunting it so much is because you, you just don't know, um, what you're going to be getting yourself into. It's, it's like a whole new time of the year for hunting really. Um, uh, I would say as far as, you know, trying to locate, um, trying to locate deer this time of year. I mean, the biggest thing is biggest thing for us too, is just trying to see where they're yarding. Um, if snow is on the ground, uh, you can kind of hopefully, you know, it helps you a little bit with, with pinpointing where deer are. Um, I don't know, Brennan, you got anything else to add to that? I feel like I'm missing something. I mean, like North Dakota, for example, which I know we keep talking about North Dakota, but that's one of our favorite, um, places to hunt, especially during the late season is, I mean, we drive miles and miles and miles around in them areas and, uh, just trying to find deer. And if, if there's snow on the ground, it definitely helps to locate them because you can see the sign and see trails. Um, especially if you're driving around on a sunny day, everything's kind of magnified when you're driving around those trails just shine. But, uh, really it's, it's locating where the herds are at because, in late season, especially where the weather gets really nasty, they yard up. And if you're, you know, trying to hunt an area where there's no, I mean, there's, there's certain spots up there that might hold 200 deer one winter. And if the food source switches, there might, there might not be a single deer within three miles of it the following winter. Wow. So it, it kind of changes every year with crop rotation and everything else. So the thing that we're looking for is just trying to find those pockets of deer might not necessarily be a herd of 200, but if you find, you know, 10, 15, 20 deer that are living in this block, you know, there's a pretty decent chance that there's, you know, at least one solid buck in the group. So we try to find those groups and we try to put our food source, you know, right on top of them. And you're saying that you're putting it in some random spot and hope you get lucky. Yeah. So you're finding them though, by just driving around and glassing fields. Is, is that what you're doing, driving and leaving? A lot of driving around, especially in North Dakota where it's such wide open country. Yeah, we're, we're putting a lot of miles on the vehicle for sure. Yeah. Now, what about late season trail camera use? Um, is, is, is it 100% putting on those bait piles? Or uh, do you have any other kind of locations that work well for putting cameras out and finding these deer? I guess also for states that don't allow baiting. What do you do in that kind of situation, Brennan? Um, I'm pretty much, if it's a bait legal state, we're putting cameras right on the food. If it's, you know, where you can't put feed down, I'm moving all my cameras to, uh, you know, to an egg field and, uh, pretty much fence crossings heading, you know, heading towards a food source. Um, and I just, I'll take 
20 cameras and pull them off scrapes and I'll just litter them around the outside edge of a field just so I have a good idea what's coming to it. Yeah. Uh, Mike, anything different? I would agree uh, with all that. You know, just like Brennan kind of said on in states where you can't bait, we I would pull a lot of my interior cameras out to the exterior of the, of the property. Any Any sort of transition to a food source, I would have just about every trail covered going out to the, any sort of major egg field um, to just kind of get that inventory as far as, you know, what deer are utilizing it and where they're accessing it. Yeah. All right. So we're glassing fields. We're checking snow for tracks and trails. We're running cameras on the best food source, whether that's placed there by you or if it's, you know, whatever's already there naturally with ag. Um, that's going to help you figure out where those deer are. Now I guess I want to dive into how you actually are setting up on them. So we've we've talked a little bit about this, and Mike, you mentioned that you're almost always doing ground blinds, at least in those North Dakota setups. Um, but walk me through, um, you know, Brendan, maybe start me out here. Can you walk me through your ideal setup for a late season hunt? If you're if you could kind of lay out for me, okay, we've got like this kind of food source, and then how how that might relate to a bedding area, and then how you would position yourself in there. Are you do you always like to be right on the food? Do you sometimes prefer to be off it? Uh, give me some details on like paint, paint me this picture of the perfect late season setup. How you would set it all up? So the per I guess the perfect late season setup for me would be you know if I'm bow hunting, it would probably be set up for a northwest wind because when you get those major cold fronts, that's generally what what wind you're getting is the north northwest. So I would. You know, if I had to set up one late season spot, I would set it up for a north-northwest wind. Um, but that being said, we try to set up spots for literally every wind direction. That way, you know, if you get a week of south winds, you're not you're not screwed and sitting there scratching your head saying, shit, we can't hunt any of these spots. So we try to set up, you know, try to evenly spread everything out, have, you know, multiple north wind spots, south wind spots, west wind, east. And, uh, but if I had to set up one spot for late season, I would have my blind or stand or whatever I'm hunting out of, I would have it set up for a Northwest wind. And I mean, access is, is everything being able to get in and out of there without spooking deer, you know, is, is number one, but I would set up for a Northwest wind. Okay. So Northwest wind in a spot where you can get off of that food source, um, kind of give me a little more detail there as far as like how you might position yourself. I, one thing like when you're hunting food sources, a lot of questions you know folks have is like how you're setting up with the wind direction. So do you want the wind you know going parallel to the edge of that field? Do you want or the or the bait pile or whatever it is? Do you want the wind going straight from the bedding out into the field and you're trying to kill them before they get downwind to you in the field? cutting the corner with the wind like what about that kind of stuff i pretty much want the wind in my face from the time i leave my vehicle or wherever i'm coming from i pretty much want the wind in my face from the time i leave the vehicle until the time i'm leaving um i don't want my wind ever to blow into any sort of cover where deer could potentially be bedding i think a lot of people kind of throw that out the window they think about what the wind is once they're in their stand or in their blind, but they don't necessarily pay attention to where their wind is blowing when they're accessing. 
And I think that's what a lot where a lot of people make mistakes. You can do a lot of damage walking across the property to get to a stand if your wind's blowing in to cover the whole way to get there. Um, so I, I try to set my spots up and like, I got a cage blind in Iowa, which is kind of a perfect example. I have the landowner actually is gracious enough to stack round bales around the base of the tower. That way deer can't see me climb in and out of the tower and just small little attention to details like that of getting in and out. Like if I didn't have those bales covering me, uh, there's a pretty good chance every time I climb out of that tower at dark deer are going to bust me. And, you know, every time the deer busts you, you're less likely to get a mature deer to step out in that area during daylight. Yeah. What about you, Mike? I would say um, also just using uh, train features. Um, if you have, you know, if you're hunting an area that on a food source that has some sort of rise to it or uh, terrace, things like that, um, using using that in your favor to have as a you know an exit strategy can be huge. Um, Brennan hit it on the nail right on the head when he was talking about you know entering and always having that wind in your face. I mean that rule would apply you know not just to late season but any sort of time of the year. Um, I mean if you can ideally access your property with with the wind never blowing to the sides of you or in front of you at any time, you're gonna you're going to maximize the amount of uh, amount of cover that that your wind direction hasn't blown into, and and you're not alarming, you know, not you shouldn't alarm, you know, any deer at that point. Then, yeah. Um, can you can you paint me a picture? Can you tell me about what your like perfect late season <laughs> setup would be as far as like, all right, this is where the food source would be. This is how I place my blind. This is how far away it'd be from X thing. Um, what would that look like for you? If, if you could just sit down and blueprint out exactly what you wanted for this kind of time of year. Mm-hmm. I would say it's very, very similar to how, how Brennan had his setup. Um, I, I really like my, my Lisa had last year in Iowa, I would say it was one of the more perfect setups I had for, for late season, um, ever, um, just to kind of like paint a picture for you, the, the deer were, were primarily betting to the West Northwest of where I was located on the food source. Um, and they had to come across the CRP field to get to the food source. And, and I had my stand positioned on, on, be on the South side of the corn. Um, and I actually, uh, left probably 15, 16 rows of standing corn in between me and the deer. This was for, for muzzleloader setup, not for archery. Um, and then there's fingers that ran through, through the draws north, it'd be north and then, and one to the northeast, uh, from my stand. And I was able to knock down corn in the center of them. Uh, so it allowed me to basically get in and out of the stand, uh, without the deer even really no, no seeing my presence. Um, when they would get into the corn and they'd be feeding inside the corn. Um, so generally, generally speaking, if everything worked out right, I could get in and out with, with deer in the field. So what ended up happening there? Um, I shot a buck the second night of the, of my sit Man, and a doe. Didn't take too long at all. Did they, did they follow the script just like you thought they would? Yeah, they did exactly exactly what i thought they would i I actually ran um 
where they come out of the, across the CRP grass, they had to jump a fence, and where they were jumping the fence is where I actually ran the corn down into the cornfield. So all the deer, pretty much single file, came right through that gap. Um, yeah, it worked out absolutely perfect. Had the ideal, you know, northwest wind that night. Uh, it was, you know, 10 to 15 below zero. I mean, you, you couldn't have asked for better conditions for, for late muzzleloader hunting in Iowa. Yeah. Now, was that a tree stand or a blind? I was on a uh, cage blind. Okay. Um, so, so an elevated ground blind. Um, let's talk a little bit about ground blinds. And you mentioned that you use that a lot in North Dakota. I know a lot of folks use these during the late season. Um, now, I know your example right there was an elevated one, but when you're on the ground, there definitely are some things that are different as far as what you can get away with and what you can't, especially in the late season. I feel like in the late season, the deer are on edge even more than usual. It seems like sound carries even further in the late season. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like there's so much that can go wrong. And then like just getting drawn back, everything's creaking and popping and uh, just all these different things. Is there anything you've learned over the years, Mike, as far as little tricks for making, you know, things work better in a ground blind or, or anything you've learned over the years to help make sure that, you know, you're more effective in those situations and don't get busted during the late season? Yeah, I would say just starting from the setup, the first thing that we do when we go into a ground blind setup for late season is we will remove any sort of debris that's in that area where we're going to be putting the blind. So there's no, typically there's no grass, no leaves, anything like that. Once you pop, pop the blind up and get it situated. Um, just another little tr- trick we do when we're set up in the blind is we'll actually bring, uh, like a, either a mat or something like a, like a thermoset. Um, and instead of putting it on your, on your butt, put it right on the floor. Um, it can serve as two purposes. It can minimize your noise when you're shifting your feet around, but also just having that little bit of insulation will make a huge difference when it's really cold with keeping your feet warmer. Um, another thing that we'll do in the ground blind is pretty much from the waist up, I'll wear all black um, just to try and keep everything dark in the blind as pos- as much as possible. Um, and I try, I prefer to wear like a hooded sweatshirt, like try and layer underneath that. Um, just from what we've noticed in the past, you know, any sort of hooded material is a lot quieter compared to trying to wear like a, you know, a big bulky winter jacket. Um, so when it comes time to, to drawing and, and that you're making the least amount of noise possible. Yep. Um, what about another when thing to add on to that? I would say is we try to always bring in, uh, like a ground blind bowl holder, whether it's one that you can put in the top hub of the blind or on the ground, because when it gets to be 10, in some cases, North North Dakota, you know, 10 below it up to 50 below, it's, you can't hang onto a bowl that long. <laughs> Your hands will freeze right off. Yeah. Um, so, but you got to be ready because it, because it can literally happen when you're on the ground any second. So just having where it's just uh, right, you know, right next to you in your hand where something happens, you can make that quick move and make a shot. Um, just being able to always be ready is, is key when it yeah. gets cold. It's a great, it's a great point. Now with these ground blinds that you're setting up for those Dakota hunts, 
How far ahead of time do you feel like you need to get a blind set up in a place so that it's not spooking deer? Like, are you are you putting these blinds out way early in the season and they stay out all year? Or do you find yourself, like, scouting late season, locating the deer, and then putting up blinds right then and there? I would say that uh, when we, we don't really leave blinds out at all in North Dakota year-round, we... When we go to set up stuff late season, we, we pop them up and out there, it seems like the deer, it doesn't take that long for them to get used to them. Um, I, w- I would say most, actually a lot of the states that we hunt, um, that are, you know, lower pressure states, you, I feel like you could pop a blind up and within, you know, a few days you could get away with hunting out of it. Um, but some of your higher pressure states, I would definitely be popping them blind up, you know, a few weeks before I would even be considering, you know, hopping in it to hunt it. Hmm. Um, it just seems that, some, you know, some of those higher pressure states, it takes a lot longer for those deer to really get accustomed to it. Um, and, and it seems like if you can brush it into that can kind of help them as well, get a little bit more. So they're not as skittish to it. Yeah. Uh, Brennan, what's, what about your take on both ground blind setup? And then also like little tips or any little tricks you found over the years to be more effective when you're actually in there hunting from them. Anything that you'd add to what Mike brought up on those two points? I think he's spot on, you know, as far as uh, location, you know, in, in some states it takes deer maybe a day or two to get used to a ground blind and, and you know, feeling comfortable moving in front of them. And in other states it could take two or three weeks for a deer to get comfortable to you know, feed in front of them. But uh, one of the things that I kind of key in on hunting out of ground blinds is keeping as much, uh, as many of the windows closed as possible. I feel like a lot of people set up ground blinds and they feel like they need to see all the way around them. So they got windows open on every side. I will literally have my window open where I intend to shoot and everything else will be pitch black. Like I if it if it wasn't for filming, I would probably have about a six by six inch window that would I would leave open on a blind just to shoot out of. But with us filming, we leave a little bit more open. But I think the key is to to keep as much closed as possible. Um, I think it helps a little bit with scent. Does definitely doesn't you know take care of your scent like a a redneck would. But I feel like keeping as much of it closed as possible definitely helps. And, uh, you know, obviously the more you have closed up, the less likely are you to get picked off by deer. Yeah. One little and, thing uh, that I we've, like we've done over the years. I think, oh, go ahead, Mike. I want to say one little thing that we've done over the years, we're big believers in using nose jammer, um, is when we would put blinds up, we'd actually spray it, spray the blinds with nose jammer because that's what we're using when we're hunting, um, just getting them deer accustomed to that smell. Um, I feel like it, it gives us a little bit more of an advantage. Yeah. Yeah, I found that helps too. Sure. What were you saying before that, Brennan? Um, I was just uh, kind of going back to what Mike said about cleaning out the the floor of the blind. Like when we set the blind, um, we'll, you know, if it's in a grassy area but let's say there's already snow on the ground when we set a blind up, we'll go through there and kick that ground completely clean all the way down to the dirt. 
that way uh, you're not making any any kind of noise when you're shuffling your feet around or moving around in there because once the ground freezes if you have leaves or grass or anything in there or even snow that would freeze I mean that's extremely noisy the unless you have like a dirt floor in the blind that you can you could save yourself a lot of noise do you guys ever use ozonics machines Brennan? used to Did used you? to um until nose jammer came out <laughs> and so, we have no we have no affiliation with nose jammer but we we use it like it's going out of style so so you feel like that negates the need for something like ozonics because because especially with ground blinds um i'm always you know trying to figure out the right way to, to use something like that and those kinds of setups um seems like you guys get away with nose jammer and that's about all you need I mean, I've got a lot of faith in those jammer. Not to say we don't get busted by deer, because we still do. But I feel like we've got away with a lot of stuff that we wouldn't have without nose jammer, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But we we've, had, we've had very we good had luck, luck, too, with those onyx. Um, yeah, Mike I killed think a six-year-old deer reasons. dead downwind in Wisconsin with an ozonix. I feel like it played a huge part. Yeah. And I, I would say, though, you know, it was – one of the reasons that I feel like we kind of quit using it wasn't necessarily like we weren't believers in the product. It was just when we're hunting and filming, you're carrying so much stuff already to begin with. It's just another thing to carry. Yeah. Yeah. And when you can, when, when we can just have a little spray bottle of nose jammer or something that's a little more compact. Um, I don't know. It's just one less item that you got to have on your pack. Yeah. You know, one thing I found myself doing this year too, I, I, I use both. I use Nose Jammer and Ozonics most hunts. Um, but for whatever reason, I just have gotten sick of the sound of the Ozonics, like the fan up above you. And I just, I turn it off a few times and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can hear so much more. Like I would have no idea. There was a deer like 50 yards away. I couldn't hear it at all. And I turned that dang thing off and like, bam, oh yeah, there's a deer. Um, you forget what the yeah. woods sound like without that fan whirring over top of your head sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that smell, that ozone smell kind of makes me nauseous too. If, if I've got it running for too long, I that something about that smell kind of bothers me after a while too. It's definitely... Um, for me, it's become like an association with hunting. So, like, if I smell a whiff of ozone, like in a place outside of like a hunting context, I'm like, oh, hunting season. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, it does have a noticeable uh, aroma to it. Um, yep. But but back to like stuff during the hunt. Um, I mean, we were, we were just talking about some of your scent control practices during the hunt. Talked about some of the things you're setting up within your ground blinds for these hunts. Um, and that brings us back to, I think like one of the overarching themes of late season, which is deer are really spooky. So they're going to be easier to spook with your wind. They're going to be easier to spook with a sound or movement in the tree or in the blind. Um, you just have to really be on your a game. I feel like during the late season, there's, there's almost zero room for error. It's kind of the exact opposite of the rut. If the, if the rut gives you the most opportunity to get away with a few mistakes here and there, I feel like the late season is is the exact opposite. Um, so this brings to mind another question I have, which is another one of these kind of aggressive plays that you might use a little bit during the early season. You'll use probably a lot in some places during the rut. But what about during the late season? The question is calling. Will you ever 
use any kind of calling techniques once we get into this late season. You got a buck that's just out of range. Doesn't look like he's going to come into the food, but he's kind of in your zone. Do you ever bust out the grunt tube or, or something else, Brennan, at this time of year? I personally don't. I, I mean, I shouldn't say that. We rattled one in last night, but I, like I said, I don't consider it late season yet where we were hunting. And like next week, in uh or this weekend in iowa um i mean i'm i'm still treating it like the rut so i i'll probably do some calling but like once i'm kind of shifted to late season hunting over a food source i personally don't even take the calls with me anymore and why is that um because i feel like i'm hunting an area where i feel like if these deer are unpressured and they don't know that i'm hunting them they're going to come in there the next night too. So if they come in one night and they skirt me out of range, I don't want to throw anything at them trying to get them in range. I'm just going to hunt it on the next good weather day and hope for different results versus taking the risk of, you know, throwing a call at them and them, you know, spooking. Yeah. Yeah. I follow you there. Mike, what about you? I would agree with that too. I've never really considered even using calls late season um one of the biggest reasons why though is just because typically when you're when you're hunting some of these uh, late season food sources you're dealing with a lot more eyes a lot more noses um there's just a lot less you can get away with like you said so bringing calls to their attention a lot of times when you have that many deer nearby you can actually alert them and and make them a little more skittish than actually draw them in. Um, myself personally, just even during, during hunting the rut, um, using calls and rattling just seems to be only effective to me when you're dealing with one specific deer or a couple deer, um, at a given time, you know, once you get multiple deer out in the field, um, I tried it a couple years ago in Iowa had, tried hitting the horns when there was like 10, 15 deer out in the field and it blew the whole field apart. So <laughs> after that, I yeah. pretty much gave up on, on calling on and rattling on deer when there's multiple deer. Um, it, I feel like it's just timing specific and usually late season is just, it's not the right time to do it when you're dealing with that many, uh, eyes and eyes and ears and noses all yeah. out in the field at once. Yeah. I, I felt the same way. It just seems like higher, <coughs> excuse me, higher risk and lower reward at that time of year. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where Land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth so let's say this let's say you you had this perfect picture perfect setup you went in there you hunted it uh you you had everything you thought lined up just perfect and the big buck doesn't show you go back in the next day maybe still good conditions he still doesn't show what do you do when it comes to the issue of, you know, hunting the same spot over and over again, like volume hunting a spot versus like bouncing around and looking for new spots or fresh activity? Um, when it comes to the late season, are you more apt to just like stick it out in that very best place and give it time? Or do you like to bounce and bounce and bounce and, you know, get a bunch of quote unquote first sits um, until you figure something out? Uh, Brennan, what's what's your approach there? I guess it depends. Like if, if you're targeting a specific buck or if you're just targeting, you know, a respectable buck, if I'm targeting a specific buck, I'm probably not going to hunt anywhere else just because I'm set on a certain deer. Um, so I'm going to hunt him when the conditions are right. If I hunt in a couple days in a row and he doesn't show, but he had been daylight, active uh leading up to that um and as long as my entrance and the exit is clean and i'm not busting deer every time i'm going in there i'll keep hunting them if the wind's right um because i feel like we've got a couple spots like that in north dakota where you know we'll get a deer that'll come in there broad daylight two or three days out of the week no really consistent reason why he's coming in when he's coming in but if you go hunt it two nights in a row and then you're like, oh, I'm going to give it a break at night. I guarantee he's coming in the next night. So we'll, <laughs> a lot of the times, if we're getting in and out of the spots clean and not blowing deer, you know, we'll, we'll hunt them three, four nights in a row, as long as we're getting in and out of there without busting deer. Yeah. My last buck I shot 
North Dakota late season. That's actually what how I killed it. Is remember we had a couple of the guys haunted a spot. I think three nights in a row, and they didn't yep. see a single deer, and they didn't want to sit it. So I said, if they're not sit- sitting it, I'm going to sit it, and then I shot shot one of the bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a kick in the just balls for those guys. Just because of how the just because of how their patterns were and how our entrance and exit was set up. I felt like you you could have got away with hunting it multiple times. I mean, a lot of the times that's not the case though. I'm myself personally, I would say if I'm if I'm sitting a spot and kind of the scenario you laid out and I I sat it a couple nights and he didn't come in, um if it if I feel that there's even a chance that I'm alerting any sort of deer, I might take a night off or if I see another cold front coming, you know, a few days down the road, I might not even hunt it for a few days. Um, if I'm, if I'm, and just go hunt a different spot or not hunt at all, you know, um, I would say that more for myself, more than not, that's what I would do. Uh, but it, but it really can depend on, you know, we, we keep going back to it, but your, your entrance and exit, um, how it sets up for you. If if you feel like you can get in and out multiple times without alerting deer, I feel like you can definitely get away with, with sitting it multiple days in a row. Yeah. You brought up like uh, checking the forecast and seeing if there's maybe a, another cold front coming or something like that, and how that might impact your decision making. Which mm-hmm. which brings up the fact that we haven't really dove deep into these conditions you're waiting for. We, we've just kind of alluded to like cold weather, um, but is is there anything specifically that you're looking for from the weather forecast that tells you it's go time? I mean, does it have to be like? Any kind of cold front, or are you waiting for like the mega cold front, the thirty degree drop, or the sub zero temperatures and snow? Like, what what's the specific thing you're looking for to tell you it's it's time to go, Mike? I would say it doesn't necessarily need to be the mega cold front, just a significant enough temperature drop to where it's going to get deer up on their feet and wanting to hit you know, uh, a grain food source. Um, you know, and it can just some of the little factors that can come into play, you know, even just a, uh, a minute cold front change or a temperature change with a wind direction switch, or if it's going from overcast to clear skies, like those little bit, those little factors can get those maturity up on their feet. Um, but I mean, the first thing I'd always go, go to for a rule of thumb would be that, you know, initial temperature drop. Like that's what we're, what, at least what I'm, you know, setting my, my sights on when I'm looking at the forecast in the future is if there's a, you know, 10 degree change or more in, uh, in temperature from one day to another. Um, I mean, some of the other factors that I hit on, they, they just kind of add to the, I think, increasing your odds. Yeah. Brennan? Um, kind of on the weather stuff, um, almost complete opposite, though. We've noticed, you know, if you've got a week straight of 5 to 10 below, and you all of a sudden you get a, a, a day where it's 10 above and, like, sunny, it's almost like those deer treat it as, like, how we would treat, you know, the 4th of July. Like, it's nice out. Let's Let's move and get up and walk around so like not to say like that is just cold fronts that are effective 
it's like any like change in the weather. So if you've got, you know, a week straight of just nasty cold weather, yeah, you might have some good hunting, but there's a pretty good chance when that weather changes and it warms up and it's nice that first day, that day could be just as effective as the cold front. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and to add on to that, you know, usually when, when you have them extreme cold fronts like that, that, you know, span multiple days, those first couple of days might just be dynamite, but as it kind of legs on, those deer will kind of just eventually sub- get subdued and, and kind of lay up, and they're waiting for that, that warm-up, like Brennan said, to get up and, you know, and feed. Um, we'll see it in North Dakota a lot of times too late season where the deer don't move at all through the night, but then once it warms up, you know, 10, 15 degrees during the middle of the day, if we're driving around or, you know, checking spots, things like that. You see deer out all over to, if it's a, you know, clear, sunny day, you know, I, I don't blame them. You know, I'd rather go out and feed when it's 20 degrees out than, you know, last light when it's five below zero. So yeah. they, they definitely take advantage of those times of the day when, they, when there is those warm ups to get out and kind of sun and stretch your legs and get some food. Um, you know, and if you get a, if you get a warm enough spell, like if you, if, just to kind of throw an example out, if you if you have a long stretch of cold weather with with some snow on the ground, and they're hammering, uh, you know, like their, your corn or beans, things like that, if you get a severe warm up where it it'll you know melt some of that snow and open up some some green areas, sometimes going back to that green can be huge. Um, you know, we've killed a handful of bucks late season, in, you know, doing stuff like that where when the snow melts off, that's, that's usually the, they, they definitely try to take advantage of, um, of the limited resource at that time. And, and when you get a warm up and, and green pops up, um, they're going to try and eat it up as, as much as they can until, you know, that next snowfall comes and, yeah. and they have to go back to, you know, feeding on grain. Yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of those warm ups, what about the situation where you're just stuck with the warm? You never get the big cold front that comes through and your late season is winding down and you keep on looking at the weather and you're like, man, it's warm, it's warm, it's warm. Now we're down to the last 10 days. Now we're down to the last seven days. Time's ticking away. It looks like you're never going to get that cold front. Um, what do you do in that case, Mike, when you're just stuck with mild or average temperatures? You never get the cold one. Um, do you just not hunt or do you take a stab or is there a totally different approach you have for late season, warm or mild weather temperature hunts? Uh, I mean, when you're running out of time, you, you want to try and still take stabs, but, um, I would say if you're looking at the forecast and, and all it is is warm from, you know, now until the end of the season, you, you got to do something. And I mean, if, if, if I was in that situation, I would probably consider maybe hunting off the food a little bit closer to the bedding um, and trying to catch some deer maybe when they're getting up out of their bed, um, you know, right at last light since they're, since they're not going to be getting up, you know, a little bit sooner with this, with those, like those, when those cold fronts come through. Um, I mean, typically most of your deer are probably not going to be getting out of their bed. So the last 10, 15 minutes of shooting light. So I would say if, if it was, if it was me, you know, trying to press in a little bit more, hunt off the food would be one thing that you could do. Um, or like I said, you know, earlier going, going back to a green food source might be something we're considering. 
Yeah. What about you, Brian? Warm weather. Uh, if, t- if time's ticking and like there's literally no cold weather until the end of season, I would I would say yeah, get aggressive and and press in closer to bedding. Try to get them, you know, right when they're standing up out of their bed. Um, but if it's warm and there's any chance of a cold front, I will I will sit out for a week just to hunt one day, even if it's the last day of the season. I'd, I'd sit out the entire week to hunt one cold front versus trying to, ed, you know, trying to get in tight and educating the deer. And then all of a sudden a cold front comes and you already blew it. So if there's no chance of a cold front for the rest of the season, yeah, I would get aggressive. But if there's any chance of a cold front happening, even if it's the last day of the season, I'm waiting for it. Okay. I would agree with that too. Uh, just perfect example was, for that is last year uh, here in Iowa, I I sat out the first ten days I think it was of the muzzleloader season, just because the weather the temperatures were in the highs in the forties, and you know you could see in the extended forecast, you know right around New Year's we were supposed to get a temp drop below zero. So I mean I I knew you know if I just was patient that it was you know it was being patient was going to reward um, in the long run. So. Sometimes sitting out is not, you know, not a bad thing. Always easier said than done sometimes for those that are, of us that are eager to get out and hunt. But uh, like you said, <laughs> yeah. it usually pays off. Um, or yeah. at least will pay off every once in a while enough to make it uh, worth being patient. Um, all right, guys. I got two quick last questions before uh, sending you on your way to your next hunting destination. Um, late season tricks for staying warm mike you already mentioned the uh the hot pad thing underneath your feet is there any other things you do to handle those super cold late season days whether it's with your clothing or any other gear or things you take with you or or anything else to just weather those coldest days i'll let you start mike um i'm a huge fan of heated uh heated socks I, I have um, in my first light muff. I always have a one of those battery powder powered hand warmers. Um, I I pretty much switch completely off of using any sort of um, hand warmers um, like your your uh, grabbers or, or hot hands. The last couple of years, I went you know straight to using any any sort of battery powered stuff. Um, just seems to last longer um, and. It's, in the long run, it's a little bit more cost effective. Um, one of the things that I started using a lot this year too, um, was we started working with a company called Hyperheat and they make a heated seat, um, that you can put on your tree stand or on, you know, a seat in the ground blind. Um, we use, I used it in that, uh, in that situation, but also when it got really cold here during the rut, uh, it, it comes with a, a strap that can actually latch onto your, uh, latch onto your stand, but it will also go around your waist. So I actually, when it got really cold, clipped it on, um, and put the heated side on the backside where my kidneys were. And I actually was heating my back with that, um, through, through some of these colder sits during the rut. I plan on doing that as well during the late season months. Um, hmm. from a gear, gear side of things, I always wear a neck gaiter, um, pretty much from mid November to, to the end of season, 
uh, it can really save on windburn on your face and, uh, and just from your lips and everything else chapping up. Uh, I would say that that's one of my, one of my favorite pieces to use, uh, in the late season months. Hmm. Yeah. What about you, Brennan? I am opposite of Mike. I buy stock in hot hands for late <laughs> season. I get all the adhesive. Like I'll buy the full, the full feet ones, and I'll I'll wear a you know a normal pair of socks. Then I'll put the hot hand foot warmers, you know, in between that and a pair of wool socks. I'll put hot hands on my pretty much on my thighs, on my kidneys, on my shoulder blades. I've always got like four to six of them stuffed in my hand muff. Um, but like Mike said, I think a neck gaiter is invaluable in the late season because it keeps a lot of cold air going in and out of your, your top. Um, and one other thing is I will always carry my heavy base layers to the blind and then put it on versus trying to waddle in there like Ralphie from the Christmas story and getting all sweated up. And cause once you get sweaty, you're screwed. So I feel like, you know, carrying in your top layers is key. You know, go in there. You might be a little cold on the walk-in, but it's better than getting sweaty and then freezing once you sit down. Yep. I'd have to agree with that. I've been there, and uh, always better to go that route. Uh, well, guys, I, I do feel um, – I do feel – maybe a little bit more excited about the upcoming weeks. Like I felt relatively confident coming into my late season. I feel like I got a couple more hot tips now to uh, take into the woods. So thank you for that. Uh, could one of you give me a rundown or give us a rundown of where we can see everything you've got going on, where we can follow along with how your hunts are going now, where we can see your, you know, past hunts and videos of all that kind of stuff. Uh, Brennan, can you can you maybe walk us through some of that? Yeah, so we are in the middle of producing our 10th season of the Breaking Point. I'm going to say the best place to find us right now is on YouTube. Um, the main show comes out every year. We, we usually start dropping new episodes in uh, late summer, uh, typically in August. And um, this year... Mike and Spitzley put together 14 new episodes there. And then we have a semi-live series, which Aaron does all the editing for. Those come out every Sunday, all year long. And uh, new to the channel this year, we were doing what we call Rut Live. And that was just a, it was a six-week program. Um, Mike's, it was kind of Mike's baby, but we had two in-studio hosts. And then we were running three to four live units every Saturday. And uh, we would have live hunting broadcasted right to our YouTube channel. So that was kind of cool. Um, that's something we're definitely going to continue to do in the future and something that we're really excited about. But, yeah, just check us out on uh, YouTube. is probably the best uh, way to find us. Just search the Breaking Point TV, and you can find every video that we have ever put out. Man, I love it. It's good stuff. I, uh, I've i been watching it. I, I got a kick out of seeing my buddy Furter join you guys last year for that hunt. That seemed like it was a really good time. I'm glad he got redemption there in the late season, too. Um, so thanks for taking good care of him, putting him on the bucks. And, <laughs> um, 
And uh, yeah, guys, keep up the good work. Uh, Mike, is there anything else you want to add before uh, I let you guys hit the road? No, I think I think we touched it all. Awesome. Well, Brennan, Michael, appreciate your time. Go kill some late season bucks now, all right? Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks bet. for having us, Mark. All right, that's a wrap. Appreciate you listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for being a part of this Wired Hunt community. It's been a fun season, guys. I've uh, I've loved sharing every minute of it with you. I really, really appreciate the notes, the Instagram messages, the emails, um, telling me about how the podcast has helped or how the Wired Hunt website or YouTube videos, um, how all the different projects we're doing are either keeping you entertained or sharing, you know, some kind of lesson with you that's helped you kill a deer, or have a better hunting season, uh, means the world to know that, you know, this is helping you out. So appreciate you all. Hope you're having a fun season. Keep getting after it. There's still time. Don't throw in the towel yet. Don't give up yet. You can still get it done. Enjoy this hunting season while we still got it. Cause I guarantee you in a couple months when season's closed, we're all going to be wondering and waiting and hoping for that opening day again soon too so enjoy and until next time stay wired to hunt hey we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries now if you're like me enjoying the great outdoors you need gear that is as reliable as it gets that's why i power my adventures with interstate batteries I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.